Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Jonathan Mahan with me. How are you, Jonathan? I am doing wonderful today. Glad to be on here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. He's in one of my favorite states, Colorado. And let me tell you guys a bit about Jonathan. So Jonathan and his partner, Jordana, are co-founders who came from very different backgrounds. Jonathan from the sciences and Jordana from the arts. Together, they created the Practice Lab, where they help salespeople to master both the art and science of sales through the same type of focused, deliberate practice that performers, athletes, and musicians use to become masters of their domains. So I'm really excited about this because it's the art, the science, you guys are from two different worlds. How did you start your career and how did you end up forming this amazing company? Yeah. So like many folks, I got into sales just temporarily until I could, you know, find a job in my industry, which at the time was like natural resource management. Like many folks, I found out there weren't a lot of jobs in natural resource management and hey, I had a family support and sales paid well. So I kind of got into sales accidentally that way, as many folks do. And um, since I had the background in sciences and since I kind of naturally am more of an introverted person anyways, I really kind of started nerding out on like the psychology of sales and psychology of influence and just reading books like crazy. But I started to notice as I went through the years as a salesperson that reading books and filling my head with knowledge was a really good starting point. But at a certain point, it, it stopped really working meaning that I wasn't able to actually implement a lot of the things that I was learning, right? I'd fill my head with knowledge and struggle to actually change my behavior on sales calls. So about two years ago, I was starting as a new rep at a company, as a new account executive, and I was doing trainings in the morning, watching all these videos about how to sell well and what kind of methodology the company used. And it was really good, rock solid, well put together training. And then I was watching videos in the afternoon. I say videos, I was watching recordings in the afternoon of my peers, like in Gong, actually doing the sales calls. And I noticed that there was like no overlap between what my peers were doing and what we were all learning. And that reminded me of the issue that I had faced that I just mentioned, which is that I'll fill my head with all these knowledge from these great books and still struggle to implement it on a call. So obviously it was everyone experiencing this. And then in the evenings, I was actually reading this book called Peak. Incredible book, later another book called The Talent Code, because I really started nerding out on this stuff. And both Peak and the Talent Code are written by researchers who had spent decades studying top performers in a variety of different professions. And what they found in every discipline from soccer to music to acting to comedy to chess playing is that the way the masters became the very best was through practice and a particular form of practice that they called deliberate practice. And I was like, boom, that's my answer, right? That's what I need as a rep to start improving and being better. So as far as my journey and how I got from being an AE to now being co-founder of a company, that was really the impetus is when I realized to become the seller I wanted to be, I needed more practice. And again, the specific type of practice called deliberate practice. So I started like hosting these sessions with my internal colleagues where we would practice together and that went really well. So then I opened it up to my LinkedIn network and started practicing with folks from across a variety of companies. And then I brought on my co-founder Jordana, who was a sales trainer and just has amazing business acumen and sales experience. And we started working together and then we started charging for it and we started bringing the companies. And at a certain point it was like, well, shoot, why do I keep selling someone else's product when I've got something really cool I can sell myself? So about six months ago, I went full time in the practice lab, quit my day job and it's been a heck of a ride ever since. Wow. So first of all, let me welcome you to this wonderfully amazing and fulfilling yet scary world of entrepreneurship going full time <laughs> into your business. Congratulations on that. 
And I want to kind of take it back to the beginning because you talked about having this background in natural resources. So when you first stepped out of school and you said, okay, I got to make money and this is not making money for me. How did you really get over that initial, this is very different than I ever thought I would be doing. I'm completely out of my element feeling. I think, you know, knowing or rather thinking that it was temporary, honestly helped. It was like, hey, I can power through anything for a year or two, right? Um, so I definitely initially had this mentality of let's just push through for a while. Had you told me like on day one, this is going to be the rest of your career, I probably would have had an issue with that. <laughs> I wouldn't have taken that news so well. Because, you know, like many people, right, I didn't have the greatest association with salespeople, what it meant to be a salesperson. I wasn't exactly proud to be a salesperson. But I think what really helped me to lean into it was that psychology piece and like really approaching it as like a puzzle to be solved, right? Because again, I didn't have like these naturally great people skills. I don't have this like gut feeling that always tells me the right thing to say and how to handle things, right? I was a little bit out of my element. So I turned to books and to reading and to learning. How do people think and how do people make decisions and how do my word choices affect people's perceptions? And it kind of became this puzzle to solve or this game to play of like, all right, well, I tried saying it this way and got this reaction. So tomorrow I'm going to try it this way and see what results I get. And it became my own little mini science experiment, right? At the time I was working in retail. So it was like a lot of high repetitions. You know, I would have any new talk track I wanted to use, I could test it out 25 times in the same day because it was such a high volume of people walking into the store. So I started kind of running my own little experiments to figure out how to do this selling thing because it didn't come naturally to me. So I had to kind of approach it with that mindset. And that kept it like just interesting and just fun enough for me that I was able to push through the more unpleasant parts of selling that unfortunately come with it sometimes. And you touched on a really important topic that a lot of people look over is like this science piece of sales. So they're like, is sales an artisan and science? Are you, do you have to be born to be a salesperson? And one thing that I know coming from a technical background is that what you said is what I did. I would try a new technique a couple times. If it works, I would keep doing it and do a little bit more. If it didn't work, I would abandon it and go somewhere else. So when you have people, so when leaders, when business owners have people that are outside of their industry, they're so really apt to be like, no, 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 no. They don't come from this industry or they're not a classic salesperson. And so they turn them away. But these are skills. It's a muscle that the more you practice it, the more you develop it, the better that you get at it. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think there's, there's a few different things wrapped up in that, right? One is very much, yes, you're right, the scientific approach where you can figure it out even if you aren't naturally a people person. In fact, I've oftentimes found that people who are, let's just say to, to paint with a broad brush, more introverted, who don't naturally have great people skills, conversation skills, a lot of them have to take this approach in some form or another of like testing and trying, making note of what works and sticking with it. And while those people might learn a little slower and take a little longer to adjust and adapt and figure it out, they oftentimes can become top performers because once they've figured it out, they can very consistent, reliably rinse and repeat. When things stop working for them, it's no big deal for them to introduce a new element, try something different, and then adjust their talk track accordingly. Whereas folks who have always just kind of done it based on their gut and based on feelings oftentimes aren't as consistent. They oftentimes struggle when what used to work yesterday suddenly isn't working now, you know, in a new environment, new economy at a new company, because they never really exactly knew what made the last thing work. So they certainly can't tell you why it's not working now and they can't tell you what they need to change. Whereas the more introverted folks, they never knew what to do. They always had to test and figure it out. So for them, you put them in a new company, put them in a changing market. They can adapt, they can adjust, they can run their tests again. So oftentimes the more introverted scientific approach can have an advantage over someone who's, again, 
more naturally a people person who has this kind of gut feeling that tells them what to do and what to say. Or at least that's the way I've always seen it as an introverted person. I'll bet you someone on the other side of the spectrum could make their own argument for the advantages of, of having that style. But it's worked well for me and I've known some other top performers that worked well for it too. Yeah, you know, you really, you touched on that introvert piece because a lot of times they're like, I'm an introvert. I'm not really a people person. I don't want to talk. So I, I can't be in sales. And you also mentioned kind of like the mechanics of learning and understanding and doing and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And so my youngest son, he's actually dyslexic. And so when I, when he was younger, what I had to understand and learn is that the way the dyslexic brain processes information is very different than ours. He needs to understand the rules to know how to read. He can't just look at the words. He has to literally in his brain, he processes, okay, this makes this sound, this next to this makes that. And sometimes that's what our salespeople need. They need to understand the rules. They need to understand the processes. They need to understand that this plus this makes that. And as leaders, I think that there's a huge gap there. We're not giving our teams what they actually need to succeed. We're saying go do, 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 do. And the top 20% who'll like you will read books. They'll invest in themselves. They'll do all the things. They're going to get it. Your top performers are always going to get it. It's the middle of the pack and the bottom of the pack that we have to focus on. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And the reason why that 20%, you know, are always going to get it is that for one reason or another, whether it's just naturally the brain is wired that way or because maybe they just are hungry or care more, those are the 20% that seem to be able to take knowledge and most quickly and immediately turn it into execution, turn it into actually doing it, right? And not everyone can do it that quickly. And one thing that I see as a big, I guess, um, missed opportunity in the world of sales is not recognizing that space, the space between understanding the theory, understanding the concept, and being able to actually execute it and pulling it off in a real conversation. Because, like, again, there are some people who are actually pretty good at just taking theory straight into execution. And, like, you know, trainers love those people, coaches love those people, sales leaders love those people. It's great being one of those people. But no one does it perfectly, right? Even people who are better at it than others, there's still a pretty big gap between what they understand and what they can actually do. And for a lot of people, that transference is pretty low. And, and across sales teams, that's why it seems like this perennial problem, whether you're a sales enabler or a sales leader or a professional sales trainer, that you'll train your sales reps on what good selling looks like. They'll love the training. They'll pass the assessment. You're feeling real good. Then you go watch the calls and you're like, what the heck? Nobody's actually doing it. They're just continuing to sell the way they've always sold. <laughs> what was the point of all that we just did right there? Like, was that just team building or something? Why is nobody implementing it? And it's because as an industry, we seem to have just kind of ignored that there's a space between understanding and being able to pull it off. And it's not just there because reps don't care. And it's not a space that's there because the training's bad, right? It's not really anyone's fault directly. The reason it is that way is because, as I mentioned earlier, that's not the way the human brain works. Human brains weren't built to immediately take theory and turn it directly into execution, particularly in like stressful situations when the pressure's on. It's really hard to access the library of your mind and pull these behaviors that you've learned when the pressure's on, you're in the middle of a demo, and you know the buyer isn't giving you much to work with and you're starting to get nervous. During times of high emotion, the brain has a really hard time accessing new information, forging new paths, trying new things. Typically under high stress, the brain just defaults to what it knows best. Which again is why it's oftentimes so hard to get reps to take the knowledge they just learned and apply it to the real sales calls when the pressure is on. So hence my obsession with practice and the practice lab and again, finding a way to fill that space between knowing and doing. Yes. And so as you were working and you were in this space and you were like, okay, 
this is what my leaders are telling me to do, but this is actually what is happening. So I have to take time and I have to invest in myself, right? That is another key point that I really want to make here is that a lot of times as whether you're a leader, individual contributor, business owner, whoever you are, you have to say, I want to invest in me. And that investment doesn't always have to be money. Sometimes it's time. Listen to a podcast. That is zero dollars, right? Go to the library and get a book. That is zero dollars. So when you got to that point where you're like, I need to invest in myself and I not only do I need to invest and learn, but now the best way to make sure that I learn and understand is to actually teach people. What was that like for you? What was that shift? Yeah, so this happened about the same time as all the other uh, important moments when I was starting my job a couple of years ago. So I started adopting this mentality where I imagined myself, all right, let's say they've turned selling into an Olympic sport and I just got brought on to the U.S. Olympic sales team. How would I spend my time? And I visualized that and I pictured it. I was like, well, I'd spend time priming my mind and body, right? Training my brain, but also getting, you know, to make sure my body is healthy so that I can perform optimally. My diet, right, would be good. My Olympic sales trainer wouldn't let me, you know, free those all afternoon or whatever. I'd need to have a good anti-inflammatory diet so my brain could perform better, so my energy levels could be high. I'd be attending to my mental health, right? And then to making sure that was dialed in. I would be spending time working on developing and growing my skills in practice, right? So I set aside time for that, but I even set aside time for like reviewing recordings of calls. Because again, that's something that I would do if I was on the Olympic sales team. I blocked off time for prospecting. I blocked off time for internal meetings. Like I was very, very rigorous with how I spent my time. But that was a thought exercise I did. Olympic selling team, how do I spend my time? And again, practice was a big piece of that. So for me, I was practicing three hours a week, which honestly I wanted to do more, but I could only find people to practice with me for three hours a week. Otherwise I probably would have done it five hours a week. But I was practicing three hours a week and then I was doing call recordings roughly three hours a week. I started off every morning with like 30 minutes of meditation and priming my mind. I shifted up my diet so that I could have more sustained energy throughout the day. I improved my sleep patterns so again, I could be mentally my sharpest. Like I really went all in when I started this new job three years ago. And it was just a hell of an experience. And uh, as you can imagine, you know, it helped me sell better than I've ever sold before. Wow. And it is so very, very, very important to realize that when you show up at work, you don't leave your personal self at home, right? Like you bring your whole self to work. So if you're sleeping three hours a night, you're not going to show up as your best self. If you're eating Cheetos and Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes and drinking soda and coffee, you're not showing up as your best self. So how do you ensure like put your oxygen mask on first. And I tell people like start and end your day with your higher power in meditation, praying, journaling, writing, like doing something to get poured into before you put so much energy out. Because as salespeople, that's what we're doing every single day. And so you took that, this is what I'm gonna do, but you put structure into it. And that structure is really hard for a lot of salespeople to do. It's like, no, I just wanna show up and I'll do a little bit of calls here, do some research there, do that here. And then they're just jumping. And like, I tell when I'm working with um, these leaders, I'm like, turn off those messages, turn off the notifications on your phone. Do like, literally you have to clear your space because you will never ever focus if you don't shut down. Like you really, really have to be intentional about making the time and the space for each activity that you need to move you forward. Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. One of the kind of, I guess, thought experiments or visualizations that helped me is I did think about all these other disciplines that we all look up to, right? How do Olympians get to be the point where they're at? 
How much time do professional sports players spend preparing? How much time do professional musicians spend preparing? Just think about what is that ratio of preparing yourself, growing your skill, to actually performing and delivering when it matters most. And I realized for almost every other discipline, they spend more time practicing their craft, sharpening their skills, than they do actually performing. So that when it comes time to perform, they can do really well. And in sales, we got it completely backwards. In fact, most people spend absolutely zero time in advance sharpening their skills. All they do is just show up, do their best, and then show up tomorrow and do their best again. And they never really get any better, right? Because in that environment where you're always, you know, performance is on the line, it's always real, it's hard to do the kind of practice that is necessary to really grow skills and become better. So I said, well, shoot, if other disciplines can spend 90% of their time prepping and 10% delivering, why can't I spend at least 10% of my time prepping and 90% delivering, right? It's not that radical a thing to spend 10% of your time sharpening your skills and 90% of your time actually delivering, considering other disciplines manage to do the reverse and do just fine. Absolutely. And we were literally just talking about what our days and our weeks are like. And I was like, I have two meetings today. That is it. And that is intentional because I need time to focus and I need time to prepare, whether it's for a training session or a coaching call or a sales call. Like I have to have that downtime to really hone my craft. And like, as I'm sitting here and I'm working on things, I might be listening to music that is calming me. I might I have my notifications off. My phone is always face down on my desk. I never have it up, right? Like there are these small things that we really have to do to ensure that when we do have our calls or when we do have our meetings or when we're doing our demos or proposals or whatever we're doing, like we're showing up at our best self. So when you decided, like you started, you were doing this, you were mentoring people within your company, then you started this company and you matched the science with someone who was really into the art. How did you go about finding this business partner and what was the catalyst for you to start the company? Ooh, depending on your worldview, it was somewhere between dumb luck and divine providence that we ended up working together. So um, I had known Jordana just as one of many of my LinkedIn connections and I knew she was a sales trainer and I knew in her background she had done something involving like practice and sales. So her and I had had like a briefest chat on LinkedIn, like via voice DM, just about how much we were fans of practice. And this was like when we first connected, maybe a year before the practice lab started. So like I knew she was in my orbit. I knew she was into sales. I knew she had a bit of uh, an affinity for practice, but like that was all I knew. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm doing these like these meetups. Do you want to come co-host them with me? I think it'd be great to have two of us. And she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Neither of us thinking this was going to be all that serious. Just be a fun little side project because why not? Right. And then we started working together and we realized that like we worked really well together and we clicked really well together. And, and then we started offering these to the public. We realized, oh, the public really, really likes this and people really want more of this. And slowly one thing led to another and this business went from you know minor little side project to legitimate side hustle to eventually full-time work for both of us but it's been really great because my brain does bring that science side of things right i'm all about figuring out the patterns and figuring out all right what does it take for this feeling that we all want in a sales call to actually show up what are the key pivotal moments that really influence the feeling on that call and what are some of the different things you can do and again studying it like a behavioral scientist would study some foreign, you know, other culture or something. Where Jordana is on the opposite side of the spectrum. She's much more of the heart. She's much more of the gut feeling. Her sense of intuition is just brilliant. I'll bring these ideas to her and be like, hey, I think I found a new pattern in sales and a new exercise we could do. And she'll just like listen to it, hear it and be like, mm, that feels a little off. What if it was like this? And I'm like, oh my God, 
how did you figure that out? I've been pouring over this for 12 hours and this is the best work I got. And your intuition just in 12 <laughs> seconds tells you how to make it better. So usually that's like our working dynamic is I like study the patterns initially and come up with like a really good V1 of like, hey, what does this behavior look like? What should it sound like? And what's the best way to explain it to people and have them practice? And then her intuition will run through it and just like notice a whole bunch of things that need to be better. And then we'll, we'll go polishing it up. So it's been really fun working with her and getting to see the power that intuition brings because my intuition is very underdeveloped. I mostly reason my way through and figure out everything. And generally when I figure something out, I knew exactly how I figured it out and why I figured it out. And I could explain to you how I figured it out, right? That's the way my brain works. Hers just works in these flashes of insight and brilliance that no one knows where they came from necessarily. But obviously they're, they're really well baked into, into her, her brain and body that she can notice these patterns and pick up on things. So it's been fun working with someone who found it as such a nice compliment. So you get both the art and the science coming together because obviously both have a really important part to play in the world of sales. Yeah, I just love that. It's like you figure things out. You're in my world of this very technical area. It's like, okay, the engineer that's building the product, making the product, and then they go take it to the, the salesperson or the marketing person or whoever that is on the other side or even the, the sale, technical salesperson. And they're like, okay, so this is what I have. So what should I do with it now? And they're like, mm, maybe we do this, maybe we do that. And then you go back and iterate. But having that that yin and that yang, especially as a uh, business owner, is really good because you have that balance. So you're not always stuck in your head. And then on the flip side, when we think about how does that translate out to the clients, they really get both sides, right? So for those people who need a, a lot more structure and a lot more one plus one always equals two, there's it's never three. Like two hydrogens, one oxygen, always water. No, no differences, right? Yeah. When the people that need that, they get that. But then the people that are like, but what if I added those two hydrogens and that one oxygen in different order? Like, how does that work? Doesn't that change it? That's not really still water, is it? So like for those people, they have that balance. And so I think what you guys have created is so fantastic. So it's been six months. You've been plowing ahead full time as an entrepreneur. As you are in this space, a new entrepreneur in this economic climate where they say we're in recession, there's been a lot of layoffs in the tech world. What are you doing? How are you showing up and impacting teams so that they're still out there hitting their quotas, making their numbers? You know, it's interesting. The, uh, the tough economic times, especially in the tech sector, you know, in some ways they're difficult for a new business, right? Any new business who wants to sell anything is going to have a harder time getting off the ground during these times just because budgets are cut, you know, there's more scrutiny, stuff like that. But I do think that in some ways, you know, being doing the work that we're doing, we're fairly fortunate in that it hasn't been too difficult for us. I mean, getting a business off the ground is always tough. I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat that. But um, it hasn't been unnaturally difficult for us just because during this time, I think companies are much more focused in on their sales rep skills. During this time, companies are less satisfied with just throwing, you know, a sales training in front of their team and saying, we've done our job, check the sales training box, let's move along. There's suddenly this scrutiny of like, well, is the sales training actually changing behavior? And are our reps actually getting better? And where in the past, maybe they've watched their reps demos and be like, ah, that really wasn't great. Aaron asked some very good questions. Ugh, that was a little too much feature dumping. Ah, whatever. We're still on pace to hit our number. We're fine. Now they're looking at that calls going, we can't afford to do this. We've got fewer ops in the pipeline. We can't have anybody mm. show up and throw up on a demo. We can't have anybody stay at the surface during discovery, right? We absolutely need our reps to be more skillful, to be more skillful at becoming curious and listening better, right? And uncovering more motivation to buy during discovery. 
right? We need our reps in the demos to be having engaged back and forth two-way dialogues with customers where we're talking about impacts and business value. We're not just showing them features and hoping for the best. So while that has made it a little tougher for us because most of our clients we talk to are telling us, oh, we don't have budget for this. In general, I think it, it, the situation helps as much as it holds us back just because there's a lot more focus on improving skills and a lot of teams are just not willing to sit by and keep doing what they've been doing for the last five years, right? There's a real sense they need to change, but it still is hard getting business off the ground. Harder than expected. <laughs> there's no denying that. Yes. Yeah, I went full-time in my business probably a about six months before COVID pulled the rug out of everything. And oh um, I was not really that focused in the, the tech industry. But, you know, when COVID first started, nobody was spending any money. They were like, the world's going to end. Like, everything dried up. And I will say for us, what really happened was that was the time that we took internally to reimagine how we deliver our products, how we mm. show up to our customers. And the customers that got it, they got it. And literally there are customers that I started working with back then, pre like right in the heat of COVID and they're still working with us today because they were like, this is impactful, this is beneficial, this works. <laughs> so my encouragement to you or my word to you would be like, keep going and find that market that's like, th we need this. And they have money, they're laying people off, but guess what, if they're laying people off, especially tech companies, they're laying their whole training department off. And so in about six to nine months, they're going to realize, oh my gosh, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> that was such a bad idea. We have no enablement. We have nothing internally, right? And so that's one of the things that I'm seeing in the, the market. Like they're getting rid of that kind of support staff. And so third-party consultants coming in are actually becoming really important. Well, that's, that's good. Let's hope that for our sake, let's hope at least that trend continues. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So share with our audience, if you could give them one tip. So let's say they're like, okay, I get it. I know I need to do skills. I know I need to practice. I know these are things that I need to do. What would be that first thing that you would tell them they need to get themselves off the ground to change what they've been doing and move into a new place? I think a really foundational thing is when you're looking at your team and you're noticing gaps in their behavior, right? So this gap in their behavior could be they're not asking very good discovery questions, they're not listening very deeply, they're missing important cues, right? This behavior could be, you know, on a demo, they're just having this, you know, uninterrupted wall of like a 15 minute monologue on the demo without the customer talking. Or this could even be behaviors like updating their CRM and making their calls, right? Anywhere you see a gap between what your reps are doing and what you want them to be doing, think about the gap in terms of three potential possibilities. This could either be a knowledge gap where they don't know enough to do better. This could be a skill gap where they know what to do, but they just can't pull it off in the moment. Or it could be a motivation gap where they really just don't want to do it. And each of those should be approached very differently. The problem I see in the world of sales is generally they assume everything's a knowledge gap and they just solve everything with training, right? Or in some cases, they assume everything's a motivation gap and they just throw spiffs on things, right? When in reality, sometimes it is a skill gap. Your reps very well might know that active listening is good. Your reps might know that open-ended questions are good. Your reps might already know that they should focus more on business value than on features, but they just might not have the skill to pull it off, right? Conversely, your reps might know very well how to use their CRM effectively, but they actually don't think it leads to improved sales outcomes, so they don't do it. And you could train them 16 times on how to do it, and they just won't because they don't think it helps them. So then you have a motivation gap. Sometimes too, motivation gaps, you know, are tied to the general culture, right? If you have a little bit more, uh, an unhealthy mm. culture where reps don't feel supported, reps don't feel safe, 
you're going to have more motivation gaps where people are like, let me just do the least I have to do to get by and nothing more. Versus if you have a culture that where you're really investing mm. in your people, people have goals for themselves, they understand how their work today contributes to those goals, they have strong intrinsic motivation, then suddenly typically the motivation gaps go away and they want to be better. And all you have to do is mm. point them in the direction of, hey, this is how you become better and boom, they go do it. But the first step, the first piece of advice mm. is look at the gaps and figure out, are they knowledge gaps, skill gaps, or motivation gaps? And then handle them accordingly rather than treating everything like a knowledge gap and solving everything with more training. Ah, I love that. I think the way that I can wrap that up is like, if you go to the doctor and you have a broken arm and they're like, oh, you need some antibiotics. Like, that's not going to help me, right? And that's what happens when we have that one size fits all. So the first thing that you really have to do is diagnose. So diagnose, really understand what is the problem that we're having and let's figure out what to do, like how to move it forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, my last two years has been focused on how to address and close skill gaps, but it doesn't mean knowledge gaps aren't important. It doesn't mean motivation gaps aren't important. You should, as a sales leader, be keeping an eye on all of those. And again, just treat them accordingly, <laughs> handle them differently. So Jonathan, do you have a gift or anything that you want to share with the audience? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So there is a free gift that we have for anyone listening, any sales leaders listening or enablement leaders listening to this podcast, especially folks who are responsible for sales teams and uh, making sure sales teams perform well. So there's a particular exercise that we've developed that really helps reps in a moment where they really need practice, in a moment when emotions tend to be running high, a moment when it's really hard to think clearly, a moment when money's really on the line. And of course, that moment is when an objection comes up, particularly those like deal ending objections you get near the end of a sales cycle where you hear something like, hey, my VP just shot this down. We, we can't move forward. Or we just got word that our budgets are getting cut. We're going to have to wait till next year. Right. When you hear those words, that's a moment where you really need to have a practice response because emotions are high. It's hard to think clearly. So we have this exercise we've developed that helps sellers to respond to those objections in a way that's going to lower the buyer's defenses get them to really open up their mind to new ways of thinking and new suggestions. And ultimately that just ensures that the conversation continues and that the deal doesn't end right there. So for the first five sales leaders or enablement leaders who reach out to us, we're actually willing to come run a private practice session for your team at no cost, where they'll get a chance to learn about, but then actually spend multiple rounds practicing this particular response to objections. And for those of you who email us after the first five, we'll actually give you the blueprints to run this session on your own with your team, complete with videos of myself and Jordana doing all the teaching and explaining for you so that all you really need to do is gather your team together, have them watch the video, answer their questions, put them in breakout rooms, run a bit of a group discussion. It's a very light lift for you because again, we've already documented everything that we do that works so well and we put in that blueprint for you. So if you want to run this session with your team to experience this kind of practice-based approach to skill development, you can simply email hello at thepracticelab.co. So that's .co. Uh, if you set it to .com, it'll go somewhere else entirely and they probably won't know what you're talking about. But thepracticelab.co. Uh, subject line can just be transformed sales or even just Wesleyan's podcast. We'll know what you're talking about. And if you're one of the first five, well, again, we'll come and facilitate the session with you in a private training session. Uh, if it's after that, we'll send you the blueprints and you can do it on your own. But either way, your team will get a chance to experience this practice-based approach so they can take all the knowledge that they've known and actually be able to apply it when pressure's on and when it matters most. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. We definitely appreciate you sharing that with the audience. And thank you again for your time, your talent, and your expertise today. It's been a 
pleasure speaking with you. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on, Leslie. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. So remember, in all that you do, every day, try to achieve 1% better. What does your 1% look like today? Until next time.